This is On Diversity, a podcast series by the Institute of Policy Studies Singapore. I'm your host, Ong So Chin. Today's episode is called Of Marriage and Migration. Every year in Singapore, four out of ten citizens tie the knot with foreigners. That figure has been pretty much constant over the last ten years or so. These binational marriages have implications for Singapore's long-standing ambition to be a hub for global talent. While we try to attract highly skilled individuals to our shores with financial incentives and schemes, the truth is, these people can choose to live anywhere in the world. But things change when they get married and start raising a family. So sometimes, it's the heart which decides where they choose to plant their roots. What makes them decide to stay in one partner's home country and not the other's? How do they hold on to their sense of identity while also accommodating that of their spouses? And what identities will their children adopt? These couples also have to deal with external forces that are beyond their control, like immigration policies and employment barriers. In a post-COVID-19 world, where economic futures are uncertain and borders are not as open as before, the lines between us and them, citizen versus non-citizen, local versus foreigner, are becoming more pronounced all over the world. How do binational couples, therefore, navigate these new sensitivities? Pondering these issues with me today are Colin Miles, a British national and blockchain entrepreneur who has lived and worked in Singapore for 27 years, and Kalpana Vignesa, my colleague at IPS. She's a Singaporean research fellow who studies immigration and social integration in families and workplaces. Both are in binational marriages. Hello, Colin and Kalpana. Thank you for being here. Hi. Hi, Sochin. Hi. Perhaps we could start with introductions. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves, your spouses and your children? Tell us also why you're in Singapore. So who wants to go first? Ladies first. <laughs> Kalpana, over oh, to you then. I was going to say Colin first. He's our <laughs> guest. <laughs> so I'm Singaporean. I was born and raised in Singapore. And I then spent about two decades in Sydney, in Australia. Mm. I studied there and worked there for many years and met my husband there, got married and had our son in Sydney as well. Right. When was your son born? He was born in 2017. Okay. So three years ago. Three years ago. Right. Actually, shortly before our son was born, we made plans to move to Singapore. All happened quicker than we expected because my husband got a job that was really good for him. Mm -hmm. And the move to Singapore was the intended to come back at some point because right. my parents getting older. Right. And so we kind of went, okay, we've got to do it, but we've got to do it after this baby comes out because it's mm. too late to travel. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we came, or I came back to Singapore with a two-month-old. and That we, must have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was a very interesting period because I was returning to Singapore after so long. Of course, I'd kept in good touch with Singapore. I'd been mm -hmm. coming back every year. Right. But to come back at a very new phase in life, being mm -hmm. a new parent. Mm -hmm. After such a long time of living away is definitely a right. sea change. Right. So your husband got a job offer in Singapore. So I guess, are you saying that things kind of nicely aligned, the job offer and 
your desire to come back and spend time with your parents? I don't know that life is ever really nicely aligned. Mm. I think you have things that the desire to come back to Singapore was strong, but at the same time, it wasn't an easy move because mm-hmm. I had a career that was quite well settled and a job that I loved. Mm. And it was sort of like, okay, well, we can make the move, be good for the family and good for my husband professionally. It'll be difficult for me in some respects. Mm. So I think things so, sort of, there's always going to be pluses and minuses wherever right. you go. And I think for us, the big thing really in, in our particular circumstances was just that he was coming to a new place and I was coming back home after a very long time at sure. a time where our lives were already going through a lot of change because we haven't had a new baby. Right. And yeah. Right. But yes, I mean, mm-hmm. of course, we're pleased that things have worked out and that we have kind of three years in, settled, <laughs> <laughs> properly settled back into Singapore and, and yeah. Okay. All right. And Colin, you've got a completely different story. You've actually been in Singapore longer than Kalpana. That's the irony. I think uh, <laughs> obviously the 90s was a different decade for everyone and the economy in the UK was really poor. I mean, it was rough, 1991, 92. And I had graduated from uh, Oxford Polytechnic as it was then, specifically in publishing media. And I had a girlfriend who was Singaporean who'd come back to Singapore. And I was in London trying to make my fortune at age 26 and finding (laughs) it very hard. And she said, hey, why don't you come to Singapore? They're always looking for foreign talent. Uh, Publishing media is a key focus. Mm -hmm. So um, why not come out? And uh, my mother, actually, her sister had married a Malaysian. So we had Malaysian family in Penang. All right. So there was an opportunity to be highly productive and have a trip out to Singapore to see if I could find work. Right. And uh, for my mother to go and visit her relatives in uh, Penang. So that was the motivation to come out in 1993. So with one suitcase, uh, $50 in my pocket... (laughs) I came out and the rest, as they say, is history, Right. which we can go into in detail. But uh, yeah, 27 years later. So you found work as a journalist or? Effectively a freelance writer, Yeah, working for a medical dental magazine, which is highly glamorous, as you can understand, (laughs) Uh, interviewing dentists around uh, Singapore and Asia, but quickly found out that my skills were useful because I could do production editing with technology, Mm -hmm. old fashioned desktop publishing technology, which was used at the time. Then the internet hit in 1994, Ah. and from that time onwards, I was a digital guy and Mm. focused entirely on technical developments, technical investments, entrepreneur opportunities in business, such as the dot-com era, and I completely immersed myself in the IT master plan that Singapore had, and it's very exciting. So you were very prescient then as well, right? So your skill sets kind of aligned, or your choice of a future career, which you didn't know at that time, because you came thinking you'd be a journalist. Yeah. It just was aligned with what Singapore was planning. Completely. So that was quite a lucky break for you in that sense. Uh, You know, it was meant to be. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's talk quickly about cultural differences. Colin, what was it like for you in your early days in Singapore and dating a Singaporean? Yeah, so I was cognizant that there was this arena for expats. So there was an expat belt, there was an expat clubs, there was an expat circle, there were things that expats really only did with themselves, which... I understood. I didn't necessarily have the capital to be involved in all of it. (laughs) So dipped in and dipped out. But having uh, obviously a local girlfriend at the time and 
also experiencing local things like Chinese New Year, family gatherings, mm -hmm. weddings, particularly yeah. important. Right. It was very interesting to have that combination to see the expat way of doing things and also to be able to mm -hmm. commune locally and understand right. the different cultural elements, different cultural celebrations. Mm -hmm. And to do that from literally from the ground level was fantastic. So right. I, I really felt I had the best of both worlds. So the immersion was actually fairly painless, right? Fairly painless, although my language skills are not that good. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you pick up a bit here and there. Yeah. What phrases have you learned since then? Not too many. <laughs> not too many. <laughs> Okay, anyway, so Kalpana, was it similar for you in Australia, immersing in the culture there as a Singaporean overseas? I mean, in, in a way, yes, but in a way, no. Because I think one way in which the Australian experience of being a migrant in, in Australia is very different mm. is there isn't an expat belt. There isn't, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, so the, the fact that you are not in the country that you were born in, in a way, is slightly less because there's so many immigrants. Right, in Sydney. In yeah, Sydney, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. where you're from is a little bit sort of, you can blend in if you want. There are lots of Singaporeans mm -hmm. who hang out together and then right. <laughs> there are other people who, who choose not to. But there wasn't that distinction. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, my experiences there, I suppose, because I was there as a student and then mm. I started my professional career in Sydney and mm -hmm. continued there. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, I didn't think too much right. about it. I just, yeah. So and it was all very organic. It really, was right. for me very organic. Yeah. And in a way, it feels a lot more pronounced here. Ah, how so? Just that, you know, like Colin said, when you come in with a foreign spouse, mm. then you are more sort of exposed Mm -hmm. to other people, you know, think of it as an expat experience. Of course, because I am still very much a local here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think you just sort of navigate yep. both the worlds and it's kind of nice because yep. you can take the best of... Sure. <laughs> and of course, the world has changed quite a bit since then. And we'll talk a little bit about that later on. Colin, you were dating a Singaporean. A Carpenter, you were dating an Australian yeah. in Australia. At what point did racial and cultural differences come up in your relationships? Were there any challenges that you faced? Were there any light bulb moments in the relationship when you realised, oh, my spouse does things differently or my partner does things differently? He or she comes from a different cultural perspective. From my point of view, I was always the... Um Adaptable, flexible guy. <laughs> Which is why you're still here. <laughs> not, not, a, not a sales pitch, but yeah. we had a more nuclear way of looking at things in the UK and the family was split and spread and didn't have this sort of close-knit approach to mm. how you stay in touch. You could stay in touch once a year at Christmas time and that would be fine. Right. And you didn't really have this hankering to be with your family on a regular basis. And I found with my wife's family, they would gather literally every weekend. <laughs> every weekend, they would have dinner in one house and then they would have dinner in the next house and then in the next house. And it was really nice. Right. It was really comforting. Okay. And you kept in touch with people. You could help people when required. Mm. You would see how the family grew and developed. And mm. you got used to this cycle of proximity, this mm -hmm. closeness mm -hmm. and uh, genuine connection that the families, in this case, the Chinese family, had yep. across generations. Yep. And that is very different from the experience that I had in, in the UK, which was right. very light touch. I guess in a city like London, where people tend to come and go, it's quite transient. Kalpana, was it the same for you in Australia? I think 
a big part is just the differences in familial ties. And, and I saw this not just within my husband's family compared to mine, but also mm-hmm. the many Australian friends that I made in my 20 years there. Mm-hmm. It's a similar experience mm. reversed. Yeah, which actually brings me to my next point. I was going to ask you about support systems. And Colin, you've mentioned, right? I mean, the assumption was that you're far away from your family in the UK, that you might miss that support system, but you actually gained a strong support system here, which you wouldn't have necessarily had if you had stayed in the UK. Mm. So, Kalpana, being back here, does your husband feel a lack of a support system? My husband comes from a large, immediate family. Mm. So I think we do definitely miss his immediate family Mm -hmm. and we particularly miss them this year because I haven't been able to see them. Sure. So I think he definitely misses his immediate family because Mm. when you grow up in a large family, you have that kind of built-in support system. Right. But he doesn't have the same type of relationship with his extended family Mm. and he is very much a part of my family and he's very attached to the people in it. So I think also (laughs) when you have a child, we definitely leverage the familial support system. Right. Yeah, and, and that's something that's very convenient in a way in Singapore, right? With close family units, child minding is not as big an issue as it could be in other other countries. So now on to married life in Singapore. What were the regulatory challenges faced by the non-Singaporean spouse staying here? There are employment regulations that that have to be considered um, and other residency requirements as well. Yeah. Right? So how do you continue staying? Was it always like a Damocles sword hanging over you? I didn't worry too much about it because it was an early PR for me. So I mm. uh, arrived in 93, became a PR in 97. Right. So it was only four years of having an EP which could be taken away in the <laughs> commas. Not yeah. that the PR yeah. can't be taken away, but it's a much more solid basis for mm. all of the things that I've done in my career. And that's enabled right. me a huge amount of flexibility in my work choices. Did your friends have any issues? Because I've heard stories of... Uh, I mean, when when one spouse suddenly loses his or her job Mm. and they have to move and that's quite unsettling for the family. Yeah. I mean, there are some that are on EPs and Mm. there's no further (laughs) extension of that EP and Mm. then they look around for another position and then the time runs out and they have gone back to the UK. But yeah, some folks have been rescinded and and asked to leave and for whatever reason, they they have to go. So. It's not like they can fight against it. It's just they have to Yeah, it's just deal what with it is. It. Okay. Yeah. So I mentioned that because in 2020, the minimum monthly salary for employment passes was raised twice. First from $3,600 to $3,900 in May, and then from 3009 to 4005 in September. And for the finance sector, that figure is now $5,000. And the government has expanded rules requiring employers to advertise job openings to locals first. So what's happening here, Kalpana, Colin? <laughs> I mean, there's obviously a response to the economic impact of COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, I'm an employer and we mm. will always try and employ a local talent first. Yeah, There is no question on that. Mm-hmm. However, is really, really difficult, especially in a tech field like ours, to find exactly the right match. Yeah. 
And so headhunters do come with a lot of foreign CVs or those who are already on EPs Mm -hmm. and looking to move and move across to other employers. So you have to consider all of those applications on merit. Mm -hmm. So you try and find the balance between investing in the local community versus someone who might have a really high level of skills that isn't available here. If you do that, then you have to be able to justify it. Yeah. as a technology or skills transfer. Mm-hmm. So if that individual can train up your own incumbent team, then you're in a good spot. Yeah, and I guess it's something that's happening around the world and not just in Singapore, right? Yeah, someone told me there's roughly 30,000 blockchain jobs on LinkedIn globally. Oh, really? It's a massive number of uh, opportunities. <laughs> right. And so Singapore is fighting to get this talent yeah. as much as America, as much as Europe, right. as much as China even. So. Yeah. It's really something which is a huge shift in capability mm-hmm. that HR has to find and, right. and match yep, exactly. uh, for us as a business and a community growing right. forward. In that case, it's really the best person for the job, really. It doesn't matter where that person comes from, right, in this case. In a true meritocracy, that is correct. <laughs> yes, but you're right to identify the fact that there are levers that the government can pull yeah. to hopefully help accelerate the opportunity for local talent. Okay. So I just want to highlight a quote that gained quite a lot of traction recently when Minister for Foreign Affairs Vivian Balakrishnan said, the only reason we're foreigners here is to give an extra win in our sales when the opportunity is there. And now we are in a storm. We need to shed ballast. How did that statement make you feel, Colin? Yeah, I mean, I'm quite heavy, but I'm not sure if I'm I'm exactly ballast. Having built companies and employed people for 20-odd years, Yeah and brought investment into the country, I feel that the contribution is apparent from the track record. Mm -hmm. Is he pointing the finger at everyone or is he just looking at areas which are definitely Mm -hmm. overburdened with foreign workers? I'm not sure because I'm not seeing all the stats behind the scenes. Do I take it personally? No, I understand you have to think for the country. You absolutely have to put the country first. And Singapore is always investing in the future and always going to create opportunity for people who mm. do the right things in the right way. So I always feel I'm in that. Right. But yeah, there may, may come a time when it's just a sudden stop in that opportunity and they, they wish everyone to be rebalanced. So you just have to understand it from a macro perspective. Right. Make sure that you yourself have everything in order and you're doing the right thing. How did your husband feel, Kalpana? Or how do you feel about this? I mean, just putting on the research hat for a minute mm-hmm. here might be useful. Mm-hmm. Because of course, your employment security is very different depending on where you are in the economic spectrum. And the lion's share of binational families are actually... Older Singaporean males married to foreign spouses from the region and a lot of them are in a more sort of socioeconomically disadvantaged Mm -hmm. position and the government does have, not just the government, NGOs as well, Mm -hmm. have various programs helping foreign spouses settle in. And I think where you have... Families that are less mobile like that, they're always going to feel the burdens of insecurity a lot more. And so for me personally, my own situation is that we came back and we came back where the foreign spouse had employment Mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, and I'm Singaporean, and so we feel 
quite secure and right. are grateful for that security. Yeah. yeah. And and of course, I mean, at the same time, Singapore does recognise the value of foreign talent. I mean, it has to. It can't survive by itself. It needs as much global talent as it can attract. And I think Dr Balakrishnan and other government ministers, to be fair, have also reiterated this many times. But at the same time, Singapore does draw the line firmly between citizen and non-citizen. So take the issue of dual passports, for example. It's something. It's not allowed here. Other countries allow people to have more than one citizenship. Australia, for example. Kalpana, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think that it's definitely something binational families do sort of talk about yeah. this issue of should you really be expected to choose? Is that is that the right way moving forward? Mm-hmm. Can you have two homes? Can you love two mm, homes? Can you have yeah. allegiances to multiple places? And I guess the more globally mobile you are, the more you have the feeling and the experience that, well, actually, there are a lot of people in the world who are mm. doing that. So should we also be able to do that? Yeah. But of course, I think it's also difficult to fully understand. Like, I think there are lots of factors on both sides of the coin, mm. geopolitical factors as well, yeah. based on, on the reality of uh, sure. Singapore. So, yeah, I mean, it's an open question, I think. And also psychologically, I think it must have an impact, right? Because, Carpenter, I think when, when you were in Australia, which accepts dual citizenship, I'm assuming you never felt, it was never top of mind that you had to choose one identity over the other. In Sydney, which is lots and lots of migrants, you sort of feel like a lot of people are actively both. Mm. I used to live in little Vietnam right. <laughs> when I was living in Sydney. And it's sort of almost as quintessentially Sydney and then mm. quintessentially also an injection of a very specific flavour, mm-hmm. i.e. Vietnam. So I think that maybe the sort of mm. feeling that a lot of people have these multiple right. identities, it's definitely not talked about very much. Right. It's kind of by the by. Yeah. I guess because you weren't forced to sort of ponder this existential issue. But Colin, being here in Singapore, you still have your British passport, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure you've thought about this issue. Yeah, a lot. Uh, <laughs> the, UK, the UK allows dual citizenship as well. Yep. And in the ideal world, my children would be able to go and take advantage of the UK education system, maybe the tertiary level university education, which is a whole lot cheaper than uh, other places. So... There are pros and cons, decisions that have to be made. Certainly, Mm -hmm. we can talk about national service as well for different scenarios. Mm -hmm. Age 13, decisions have to be made for my two boys as to whether they will join national service. They do still have the right to claim a passport, but Mm -hmm. then they have to choose between Singapore or the UK. So that's something I also have to consider. By age 21, they must finally choose to be Singaporean. So. Do I make that decision for them or do they make that decision for themselves? Mm-hmm. Generally, I say we'll cross that bridge when we come right. to it. But what about the decision for yourself? I mean, how do um, you feel with a British passport? I mean, obviously, there's a sentimental attachment, right? It's the place of your birth. And yeah, some sentimentality, but pragmatism says that the UK <laughs> is, in exiting Europe, not quite as attractive as it used to be in right. terms no of more mobility. Excess. No more yeah. Schengen. It's a bit of a nightmare. The boys will certainly consider this going mm. forward. I don't think they will be able to avoid, inverted commas, national service. It's definitely an yeah. important contribution to society here and something which 
my wife both now agree they can mm. do without any encumbrance and yeah. they will do a you know, good job. Yeah. This enables a certain amount of freedom post yeah. the NS. Yeah. They can still move to other countries. They can still use their other passport. Yeah. And as long as they declare where they are, the Singapore government knows that they've done the right thing. So mm-hmm. okay. so it's possible. We're, right. So we're now we're, we're going on to the next topic, which is kids. Mm-hmm. Right? Kids really change everything, don't they? I think, Colin, you've mentioned this to me before, that they force you to focus on your values. And once you have kids, you really learn to get close to the local system. Mm. So we'll talk about the NS issue. So you have two sons, right, Colin? How old are they? Yeah, 11 and 12. Okay. So that decision, how long did you and your wife mull over the NS question? Mm. Uh, three, (laughs) Three years. Three years. Okay. Right. That included a year in London. So Yes. Um, so tell us about that year in London. Well, it's a way to help them understand their mm-hmm. heritage, half of their heritage, yeah. and to commune with uh, the people in a country which does things differently, mm-hmm. educates differently. Right. And to see whether we could create a life there which they might enjoy, understand, benefit mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it turned out we couldn't quite do it. Certainly the eldest boy was that if I am going to be taking part in national service, I feel I'm going to be a really good sniper. So I'm going to focus on <laughs> what I learned in Fort, Fortnite and uh, I'm going to oh, t- no. bring that to the real world when I start shooting people in uh, firing ranges. So the idea that going from being completely disinterested in it mm. to watching our boys to men on Netflix oh, gosh, on okay. a regular basis <laughs> to try and understand the culture and the way of, of doing right. national service. Okay, it's not an easy way to understand, but yeah. it's some way to at least yeah. think that I could put myself in that position. Mm-hmm. I could train in BMT and I could do right. something that I'm very interested in, which is sniping. So <laughs> it makes it a little bit more interesting for them and uh, obviously I have friends and colleagues whose children have already done national service and got through it in Mm -hmm. a decent way been very very successful actually Mm. so okay so your kids have bought into it so I think they're more or less bought into it okay (laughs) and Kalpana you have a son right I have a son he's He's not at NS age yet I know he's only three I mean it's very interesting to hear Colin's experiences because in a way mine are quite different Mm. right because we made our son a Singapore citizen. So by nature of having citizenship by descent, mm-hmm. he, like Colin's kids, will have to pick whether he wants to keep Australian or Singapore citizenship when he's 21. For us, it wasn't something that we mulled over for quite as long, perhaps mm-hmm. because I grew up in Singapore. I had a lot of male friends who went through national service there wasn't so much sort of what is it about and mm. is it something to fear and is it something... It was kind of more like it's part and parcel of the Singaporean male experience and if we right. intend to make a life here, mm-hmm. then that... Is it something your husband accepted though? Because he yeah, wasn't born here. He definitely did because I think he spoke to my male relatives mm. and my cousins and he could see that for a lot of people... It was a positive experience mm-hmm. all up. It gave them something that they wouldn't otherwise have. Right. They met a lot of people that they wouldn't otherwise meet. Mm-hmm. And so I think he quite easily accepted that that would be, you know, if we were going to make a life here, then mm-hmm. if you have a son, then that would be part of his experience. So, yeah. Okay. So the other thing when it comes to kids is, of course, the choice of education system, the kind of education they have, right? Mm. 
since 2016, all Singapore citizens have to attend a local school, according to the Ministry of Education. They can only attend an international school with special permission. What do you think of this policy and the reason for it? Well, there is a policy and you follow yeah. that policy, but there is a way to not follow that policy. So that's true Singapore pragmatism. <laughs> we have a situation now, obviously, we've just gone through the PSLE for mm. a 12-year-old. Oh, that must have been traumatic. It was it was uh, difficult because he was trying to cram two years of study into one year, basically, having done right, the London Right, because he was experience. in London yeah. for a year, yeah, so, so he, he had, had to catch up. <laughs> play catch up. And he, he didn't quite get there. He didn't quite get the oh. express stream level that uh, most people... Benchmark. Right. Yeah. So we now have a choice. Obviously, we've done the compulsory school selection and put that through the grinder. So mm. let's see which school he comes up with. But we also now are looking at international options right. because we can. That's a privilege which we have. Yeah. So we would apply to MOE for yeah. him to join an international school. So we're looking at international schools in the next uh, couple of weeks. Okay. And that would give us an option to right. not be in a, a normal <laughs> academic, but to go into an IB system. Right. So your kids spent one year studying in London. So what was the difference in the education system there? What was their feedback to you? Yeah, I think there's a lot of differences in the way the UK education system approaches things now. Mm. Uh, certainly changed radically from my time, but the, the school we were in in North London was massively inclusive. It mm. had a huge mix of children from different races and, and mm. countries and dialects and right. 54 different languages catered for in wow. that school in terms of <laughs> the number of different countries. Right. Plus, they also included a deaf-blind school. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So they had... It was really complete, inclusive Complete then. exposure to people with disabilities. Right. It was just an amazing multicultural experience. I was very excited to see their focus was, it was a Confucian school. So they had Chinese lessons as well. Interesting. A primary level. <laughs> so it was just like the United Nations of schooling. Well, it's quite a, a mixed A primary bag. level. And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. Right. Yeah. So compared to the Singapore education system then, I mean, now they're back and we have to cram two years because they've missed out yeah, on I think one year. Part of it is natural. So mm. my younger son has done really well in his exams mm -hmm. and has proven that as he goes into PSLE, he's going to really smash the doors off and, and Fantastic. be able to choose which school he wants to choose. Mm. And he says, I would like to go to RI. <laughs> So, okay. True you Singaporean. Set, set, your sights, set your sights really high. I'll support that in any way I can and, right. and go for it. Yeah. So the older one is obviously slightly different in terms of his makeup. And I think probably international school is more right. More his aptitude. Yeah, so it's an interesting comparison, right? So the academic excellence plus the nurturing of other aspects of the child's personality. So your older son may not be as... as Academically, Academically gifted, yes. But he is a national school taekwondo He champ? is a national school taekwondo so champion, this, yes. So he has uh, different skills. Yeah, he's, he's more right. of a physical uh, focus is particularly on right. drama. He's going to be, we applied for SOTA, didn't quite make it academically, unfortunately, mm, but mm. we will try and find an international yeah. school that can accommodate drama, theatre and, and yeah, all and, that. Yeah, and I think, I guess Singapore is kind of moving towards a more inclusive education, perhaps not as inclusive as that school in North London <laughs> yeah. yet, because that sounds really amazing. Example but, uh, school, yeah. Yeah, but hopefully we'll get there at some point. What does having binational kids teach you? Have they surprised you with their observations? I guess this comes from how you're raising them, right? Do you have a view on what, are, what Singapore values are versus non-Singapore values? Do the kids have both? Or do you define values that way or not? 
Well, I think from my point of view, I have obviously not a tiger mum, but <laughs> she's much, much more accommodating than that. But she's certainly... <laughs> Are uh, you the tiger dad? I'm not the tiger dad at all. In <laughs> fact, I'm the more laissez-faire, well, you know, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be, you can be. You're the teddy so bear So we're, we're going to find, find a way to get you where you need to be, mm. either academically or culturally. Yeah. Certainly as Eurasian children in school, they clearly had bullying issues early on, mm. and a kind of thing that upsets parents tremendously when your kid comes home with injuries from being attacked, even f from behind in uh, Why was recess. he attacked? I don't know. Some of the kids are not very well behaved, and oh, he, he got pushed over in, when he was queuing for something and okay. got hurt, and uh, it upset me greatly. I saw arguments in school when they were parking their bikes and other people were trying to push them away from that space. So, And it's rougher when you're different. And at right. some point, yeah. you have to make the determination that they need to find a way to deal with it yeah. early on. And they've done that. So, mm -hmm. you know, they've been training in Taekwondo since they were three and four. So I'm not <laughs> that, and one wants to be a sniper. That okay. worried, not that worried about <laughs> the, the physical confrontations, but it's when they're bullied Mm. and groups gather to mm. put them in, in a different place. That's a challenge. Okay. They have to find a way to deal with that. Okay, so I just want to go down, I guess, to more existential question now. Mm. Colin, what has kept you in Singapore all these years? This striving for perfection. I, <laughs> I, really, I really have checked every single other country mentally. Right. I've visited many countries throughout Southeast Asia, USA, Europe, UK. Mm -hmm. I've been able to benchmark every other country, every other lifestyle, and come to the conclusion there is no other place that mm -hmm. can offer this opportunity, this level of investment in the future, this idea of creating an almost perfect ecosystem, whether it's in terms of sustainability, in terms of intellectual development, in terms of technical development, mm -hmm. in terms of hubbing, right. so many other things in terms of business, in terms of everything is so critical to how you offer society a roadmap to mm -hmm. get to the future state of global interaction right. and enable people to have a living. Yeah, Everything is thought about, everything is invested in, everything is created for that futurescape. Is it too organized though? Well, there's a certain amount you can do. There's a yeah. certain amount you can invest in. There's a certain infrastructure you can provide. But mm. the people themselves have to deliver on that promise. Sure. And I believe that that will right. continue to be the way for the next two, three generations. And okay. I'm very excited about that when I benchmark it with my home country. <laughs> okay, I'll flip it around. What would make you leave? Well, riots in the streets, complete chaos. Mm. I don't know, the kind of things which I've long not had to worry about from other countries and just the ability for others to impinge on your space or to actively mm -hmm. take away all the things you've earned, yeah. that would be a problem. So it's a fine balance, but Singapore manages it very well. All right. Kalpana, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, I think that Colin is at a different life stage <laughs> and maybe has had a little bit of time mm -hmm. to let this question germinate I mean, he has done this ex exciting benchmarking exercise. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to have a bit of an exercise as well. You're going to have a research project. Yeah, so, this, right? so I am in the process of starting a, a research project on highly skilled binational families. So I mentioned earlier that actually the lion's share of binational families in Singapore tend to be at the lower end of the socioeconomic economic 
spectrum. Mm-hmm. However, the group of people who are more highly skilled and therefore a lot more mobile as well is a uh, is the growing group. Yeah. And so I will be looking at this group of binational families trying to understand right. their lived experiences and how that all sort of comes together for families right. what it means for their support systems and i guess a little exploring in a lot of depth a lot of the questions that you have been asking us today okay. <laughs> so i guess uh, if anyone out there is keen to take part they should just contact you at ips right? yes and yes. colin as well if you want to take part i'm sure carpen will be quite happy to what's have the you? Uh, life stage <laughs> qualification i wanted to understand uh, there what? is you, you you definitely qualify oh, still, still in range okay <laughs> Colin, earlier you mentioned like what would make you leave riots in the streets, right? I mean, mm. you said it almost flippantly, but mm. I just want to ask, because COVID-19 has brought out nativist sentiments in people all around the world, Singapore included. Have you sensed this here? You remember the times when your racial profile is questioned and because you are not Singaporean mm-hmm. patently by your Caucasian looks, you are immediately assigned this uh, foreigner tag and told to go home if someone's upset with you or so it's happened probably three times in a public Mm -hmm. place when someone says to you go back to your home country if you don't like Mm. what's happening then you do take a moment to reflect that you are still an outsider and you are not considered part of the fabric of the country for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and then I thought well I don't know maybe Maybe Sir Stanford Raffles was here before the Chinese, so maybe I could argue that <laughs> I was here first, and the Indians were here before me, and uh, you know the yeah, indigenous so population was back before then. And you could you could really argue about who was here first and who has the right to be here. Yeah. But ultimately, you try not to fall into that rabbit right. hole because it's a nasty, unending argument about right. genetic privilege, which you can never ever have. Yeah if you argue all the way back to Ethiopia right. tens of thousands of years exactly. ago, you would finally end up with a core group of people who should be helping each other and not yeah. fighting each yeah. other. So ultimately, you take it on the chin. You say, okay, the mm. guy's very upset. But Tell us about the, the footbridge cyclist story. <laughs> Tell the listeners because well, I know it. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm someone who believes in civic duty. And so if someone is on an electric scooter going across a footbridge very fast when the sign on the footbridge says no electric scooters and Mm. fine $1,000, it's for a reason, it's to keep people safe. So if someone scoots past you on that and you tell them to get off, you think you've done the right thing. So I told the the kid to get off the scooter and then he told me where to go and Mm. to go home if I didn't like it and Mm. it's not for me to tell him what to do. Right. Very millennial behaviour. But... um, (laughs) I thought, fine, fair enough. But another guy was running past who was slightly older, slightly older generation, probably more in his 40s. He also said, if you don't like the welcome you've got here, you can go back home. Well, of course, he knows nothing about me and what I've done in the last 27 years and that my family is obviously half Singaporean Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And I just told him to follow the rules. Just follow the rules. Follow the rules and we can all get along safely, right? Yeah. But that can't have made you feel good after 27 years. It was tense. It was very tense. Yeah. So I I was going to send him my CV and and tell him to think think about what he said. Um, But that may not have helped. So I didn't rise to the bait so much as I normally would. But it was a pinch point. It was a pinch point. And I did have to 
think about how I would deal with that. Right. And, uh, you know. Okay. Just suck it up. <laughs> okay. So one last question. Where do you see yourselves in the distant future? Carpenter? Here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting to hear Colin talk about questions of nativism, mm. xenophobia. And it's also, it's interesting to me because I... I am Singaporean, but I'm also a minority ethnicity Singaporean. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I'm a Singaporean who has faced a lot of these mm. insults and barbs mm -hmm. through my life here. I mean, I grew up here, went to school here. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes out in how I, I exist with my family. That is being passed on almost subliminally to my son, I think. Because mm -hmm. you sort of, I do, I do respond to these things in a way of sort of like, okay, this is going to happen and this is going to happen in most places. And, yeah. it's and kind not of, just Singapore, It's right? not just Singapore. Yeah, you just have to deal with it in a mature manner. And it's a luck of the draw because yeah. you might be majority in one place, you might be minority That's in another true. place. Yeah. So, yeah, I think in terms of the future, it's sort of like these are all questions that are not, they're not scary. We're here and we kind of are happy to be here. It was a conscious decision. I, I you know, I think it comes, comes back to if you make a conscious decision and you, you conscious choice to, to do something, you just take the good and the bad. Right. And Colin, you see yourself here, I'm assuming. Well, we have to go through the school process and get, <laughs> get through the national service process. And then after that is all complete and everyone has done the right thing, we have the choice and right. we're very blessed to have that choice. So to consider where next, you have to think about what the state of the world is. Well, hopefully everyone has been vaccinated, more or less. <laughs> and that is a certain safety factor there. Yes. But is it a beach in Bali? Is it in Australia? Mm. Is it going to Cambodia and doing good mm. works with mm -hmm. the rest of your life? All these options are available, so we're very fortunate to be able to make that choice. Fantastic. And with that, it's a wrap. Thank you, Colin and Kalpana, for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks, Sachin. And thank you for listening to On Diversity. See you in our next episode. On Diversity is a podcast inspired by the Institute of Policy Studies Managing Diversity's research program. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Swipe on the cover art to see the show notes for more info on this episode or visit us on our website, ipscommons.sg. Do subscribe to be notified when we have a new episode and if you like what you heard, tell a friend or give us a five-star review. It really helps other people find us. I'm your host, Ong So Chin, reminding you to always keep your body healthy and your mind open. Goodbye.